welcome to Wood Talk for woodworkers by woodworkers. Now here are three guys who take big pieces of wood and make them smaller. Mark, Matt, and Shannon. All right, it's Wood Talk number 220 for February 16th, 2015. On today's show, we're talking about using sliding dovetails to maintain flat panels, fixing oversized dados, and keeping rasps clean. All that more. Yeah, good job, Mark. All that and more. Coming up, but first, let's hear a quick word from our sponsors. Uh, Festool, with the TS55 REQ track saw, your first cut is the finished cut. See how the new TS55 delivers straight, glue-ready, splinter-free results in the shop and on the job site at FestoolUSA.com. And that, I gotta tell you guys, that TS55 is life-changing. I'm waiting for the TS56. Oh, come on, man. That's like, that's at least five years away. I'm just kidding. I'm excited (laughs) if I can get like a TS54. The TS55 REQ is the TS56, I guess. So is the REQ like requisite? Is that what that stands for? Just short for like you have to have. It just means, yeah, it's a a required tool if you're going to have a wood shop. Uh, Shannon, you're screwed. No, I have one. Oh, you have one? Okay, good. Oh, You're good to go. One of the go power then. tools I have when I, I used it for all the plywood I had to cut when I remodeled my shop. <laughs> and you know what? And I know a lot of people, you know, they're expensive, right? Festool isn't cheap, so they take a lot of flack for this stuff. But there are a couple tools in their lineup that are game changers. And I think the TS55 is absolutely one of them, just in terms of getting that table saw quality cut. Uh, pretty good stuff. You know, if I'm going to be accused of anything, it, I don't want to be accused of being cheap. So if you're going to accuse me of being too expensive, I'm just going to say, <laughs> You'll take it. and I'm worth it. <laughs> there you go. All right. And we'd go. also like to thank a few special people. Benjamin Duty, that's D-U-T-Y, uh, Michael Briggs, <laughs> Al- Matt, settle down. <laughs> okay. Be a little more was, mature. ice in my drink. What are you talking about? <laughs> All right. Okay, Matt, I actually <laughs> muted it and gave it, so. Uh, Alan McCaig. And Scott Miller. All those people went to woodtalkshow.com and they looked over in that side column and saw a couple of links for donations and sent us a few bucks. And we appreciate that because it helps keep the lights on here. Uh, Let's get right into what's on the bench. For me, I'm feeling groovy lately because I'm cutting lots of grooves. And you are too, especially in those bell bottoms. Thank you, sir. Thank you. And um, and yeah, it's it's just router cut, uh, you know, using an edge guide, nothing really fancy, but... Um, the three pieces I'm building, the chest of drawers and two nightstands, have side panels, and it's going to be solid wood rabbited panels that will go into these grooves. And it's just quarter-inch grooves all over the place on all these pieces. So uh, I'm, I'm going cross-eyed, but I'll eventually get there and they'll all be done. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's making me feel groovy, baby. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Well, you can always feel slotted, but wait, no, that's not the right word. <laughs> no. <laughs> all right, Matt, what about you? Well, I'm kind of doing something very similar. So I am working on the tall dresser <laughs> and I need to cut a, uh, a bunch of dados and preferably those dados are going to be parallel with each other on opposite sides. You would hope. Yeah, you would hope so. Although in the past I have had a few projects where it's like, oh, is that an eighth of an inch off? Oh, how did that happen? Right. So I've been kind of going through and making sure and double checking and triple checking to make sure that my setups are right. And then once it's ready to go, one panel, and then the same exact cut on the other panel. And if I ever have to make an adjustment, I have that that moment where I break out in a sweat, like, wait, okay, all right, no, it's ready to go. And we do it. The result, I posted some pictures of it, and the videos coming out later this week, they turned out more perfect than anything has ever turned out perfect in the basement workshop, which really scares me because that means somewhere down the line, something's got to go wrong. <laughs> yeah, you're overdue <laughs> for a screw-up, so exactly. watch out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> nice. so that's that's what's been going on with me. Now, how about you, Shannon? I see you, you've you been on the lamb. 
Is that what's yes, going on? I've been on the lam. <laughs> uh, well, I, I guess officially it's Get Woodworking Week. Um, that thing that uh, Tom Iovino put together to try to encourage new people in woodworking. So Spoiler. I'm doing. We're going to talk that? about we're going to talk about that and what's new. All right. Well, no, this is it's not a spoiler. It's a segue. Okay. Yeah. Ooh, segue. <laughs> nice. I love those fancy things. Those are very yeah, hard to ride. You go forward. You go back. You yep. turn just on two wheels till you fall off them. So I'm doing a very simple uh, bent lamination project in my shop. And it was just, I don't know, I'm kind of of the mindset that if you want to encourage people to get into something, do it an approachable but somewhat challenging project. So, Show them something cool. Yeah, why not? So it's it's basically the the stupid, simple, easy way to do a bent lamb project with hand tools. What would a bent lamb look like? It'd probably make a lot of noise. Well, are they Probably. usually kind of bent anyways? Because, I mean, they're on all four, so their back's got to hurt. Yeah, I guess from a biped perspective, they are sort That's of That's why you, you smother bent. it with uh, mint jelly. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> nice. All right, let's get into what's new. And uh, I guess, well, that's the second thing in the list. The first one here is an article. This was sent to us by two different people. I saw somebody on Russell, I think his name is, on Twitter, and then uh, someone on Facebook as well. It's an article about IKEA's new initiative to use more solid wood in their products. I guess more specifically, they have a product line that's going to be incorporating solid wood. I don't get the impression that they're doing a lot of replacing of other things. So it's a really um, expanded article about the topic and, and what they're doing, how they're sourcing the wood, the people who are designing it, and what folks can expect from it. So it's just a very interesting move uh, as we talk about the sort of resurgence and in interest in handcrafted items uh, that they said basically they had enough people asking for these things that they, they just couldn't ignore it anymore and had to figure out a way for this giant corporation to start making enough furniture you know, at Ikea levels to produce that much furniture made from solid stock that's going to be sourced from Sweden. So it's a really interesting article. I don't know where, what this means in the big picture, if this is good, bad, but I think it's a very interesting thing to me using solid wood, as long as it's a sustainable resource is good. Cause if Ikea is hammering home to people, Oh, by the way, this solid stock is much better than the particle board in this other piece. That's gotta be a good thing to me. So interesting article. You definitely want to check it out. So what you're saying is educating people about quality and the difference between not so quality is a good thing? Yeah, but mm. I'm, I am a little cautious that it's coming from the mouth of Ikea. That's true. Who right next to this has another piece that's going to be the alternative to it. It's an interesting, it'll be interesting to watch how it's handled, how they market it, because they can't cut off their nose despite their face by saying this one's so much better, you know, and all this other stuff is crap because they still sell that other stuff. Right. It's, it's interesting though, because I, I wasn't that long ago, I read an article that basically classified Ikea as the largest buyer of solid wood on the planet. Like they buy more wood than anybody else. So there's yeah. solid wood somewhere in what they're doing. I'm trying to think of the last time I went to Ikea. I think I just got meatballs while I was there. So yeah, I think there are some <laughs> solid wood components to it. Uh, but yeah, the, the, I, I mean, know. all of their bent lamination chairs, the bang, whatever it is, yeah. that little iconic Ikea bent lamb chair. I mean, that's solid wood. It's just, it's been bent. Yeah. And um, they, uh, so they, they're already buying a lot of wood for, they, they so need for them to now. A lot more. Yeah. I was going to say that's a little scary because the thrust of the article I read was 
how could they, you know, how are they going to possibly meet the demands going forward? Because they buy so much wood already. If they're adding more emphasis on solid wood, that could be a real problem for the market. Well, not only the market, but the planet. And this is, that was actually mentioned in this article that their consumption of this stuff is is so large that when they make a decision, it's monumental. And the effect on the environment and where they get this material from just to satisfy the needs of this one company uh, can't be understated. And they have to walk very carefully and tread carefully on what they, where they harvest, how they make sure that it's sustainable and how they move forward with it. So uh, mm-hmm. yeah, good stuff. It'll be interesting to watch. I can't imagine it being bad though. I mean, it's, it's, let's get more awareness of quality furniture into the average person's mind. That, that to me sounds like a good thing. All right, Matt, you want want to grab the next Uh, one? Yeah, I should probably stop reading the article. So the next one is a (laughs) big one right now, as Shannon alluded to just a few moments ago, it is get wood, get woodworking week, 2015. (laughs) I'm really upset by this because I didn't get my information in time. And I noticed under the list over at Tom's workbench, who is the brainchild. I never thought I would put those two words near Tom. (laughs) Easy. Don't be too complimentary there. (laughs) But I do have to say he's been doing a fantastic job for the past few years of getting this whole movement together, this Get Woodworking Week. And many people have participated. And I noticed under his list of great resources for new woodworkers, there's the two of you along with a few others. But somewhere down the line, if you look and it says people to stay away from, my name shows up on anything. (laughs) Avoid Hmm. this crap. (laughs) Yeah, I'm hoping that that's a typo. Tom, we're going to have to talk about that. Maybe by the time we... Go ahead. I was going to say, maybe by the time this this show is over, that will have been changed. (laughs) (laughs) This is a, it's really a great resource. Just looking at this list, the, we'll put the URL in the show notes, but Tom's workbench.com slash get dash woodworking. And he's just got a really long running list of previous years, people who've contributed articles and things like that. And there are magazines who are participating in this. Uh, It's a great event. And I, I feel guilty because it seems like every time this happens, I am like, as deep into a build as I could be. And my brain is just not on making content for the free site. So it's hard for me to produce content for this. Um, but I will promote the heck out of it if I can. So uh, get woodworking. It's definitely a, a good concept, a really nice idea that Tom came up with. Absolutely. And there's, like you said, there's a whole bunch of links in here. So definitely check those out. There is something for everybody. Yeah. Uh, regardless of what hand tools, power tools, you just simply want to observe whatever it's there. So cool. get woodworking this week, folks. Do, Do it, it now, but not next week. Yeah. Too late. Yeah. Not next week. Do not get woodworking next week. Uh, all right. Let's move into the poll of the week. Speaking of our good friend, Tom Iovino. The funny thing is, I don't know whether Tom had this idea on the brain last week with his poll and just kind of blew it like a a week early. But the question this week is almost exactly the same question as last week. So last week's question was, have you ever dished out woodworking advice or have you ever given anyone else woodworking advice? So let me give the uh, responses to that. 50% said, sure, I'm a knowledgeable woodworker and I love to talk shop. 18% 18% said, I'm a, I reluctantly give advice. 13% said, I would love to, but no one asks. That's, that's so sad, right? It's like, and that's why you start a show. That's why I started this show. Yeah. Nobody was ever and asking. That's how podcasts are born. Uh, 3% said, I'm a solitary woodworker. Leave me alone. I love and that's it. me too. That's the curmudgeon answer. So this week he's asking, and this is very specifically to you know push toward Get Woodworking Week. He's asking. I haven't, I haven't looked yet. Okay. I know what it is. It's, have you ever accepted woodworking advice? No. <laughs> that actually would be a little bit better. It's, have you ever mentored someone in woodworking? 
Oh, okay. So it's kind of the same thing, but a little bit different. I would say, you know, I want to push the mentor side because mentor implies that you're, you're going back for seconds. You know, you're not actually just given one piece of advice. You are trying is, to, is one of the options. Yes. But then they never came back. <laughs> yes, I tried, but they never returned <laughs> once. Yeah. That's the, there's always got to be that depressing answer. The, the little sad guy. No, yeah. Mm. I want to, but the restraining <laughs> order says I must stay further than a nail gun away. Yeah, exactly. So if you want to answer that poll, you can go to thewoodwhisperer.com and look on the homepage there. You'll see it asking about uh, Get Woodworking Week. And uh, let's see. Next one we have here is a kickback. And uh, we actually have an audio kickback. Let me see if I can get that one going first. This one here is from Lucas. And he has some information for us on that workbench he was building. Hello, Wood Talk. This is Lucas. I called a while ago uh, talking about whether I thought I would be able to um, to build a workbench over my college vacation. I thought I'd give you guys a little bit of kickback because I did a lot of it over vacation. I didn't quite get it done, but that was because I didn't have a planer. So I took about a week out of the vacation hand planing all the boards uh, to go up for the top. It came out pretty well, uh, and I wanted to thank you guys for all your advice and help. So there you go. Bye. Well, very cool. Nice to get an update. Thanks for that, Lucas. And it sounds like, uh, I don't remember what advice we gave him. Didn't we tell him to do something else? Yeah, I think we <laughs> I think said, we told you know, <laughs> yeah, go out and have go some out, fun. Have some fun. Yeah. Don't do woodworking. What's wrong with you? You're in college. <laughs> don't get woodworking. That's, 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 oh, that yeah, is we're a little week. contradictory uh, this week, but thanks for the update, Lucas. We appreciate it. Uh, we got another kickback here from Adam. He says, first, you were talking about pour filler on the recent episode and mentioned several products for filling pours, but you didn't mention my favorite, wet sanding to fill the pours with the wood's own dust. I know this method is mostly used in finishing with a penetrating oil finish, but that's what I use most of the time. The two best things about it are that the pour filler is already paid for when you buy the wood, and it's always a perfect color and texture match. Second, one of the most recent episodes, I guess this is a second point, um, one of the most recent episodes of the MWA podcast featured someone from the Gorilla Glue company singing the praises of polyurethane glue. I've never tried it, but they made it sound like it was God's gift to woodworkers. I still don't think I want to use it. <laughs> well, they, they make polyurethane glue. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> that's a secret. And here's the thing: even if they are, and let's say it is good, they have a major image problem. Like Adam's comment is exactly the problem. He just heard a whole sales pitch on an on a show and still isn't convinced that he wants to use it. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> There's definitely an image issue here. Uh, okay. Anyway, I think it's just it's because it's brown and oozy and it's gooey. Foamy it it and, looks yeah, like it a just, syrup, like maple uh, syrupy. That should play uh, in its face. Well, see, does no, old brown it, glue have that problem and liquid hide glue? People uh, seem who like it really love liquid hide glue. No, I, I think it's that it, 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 it's something along the lines of I'll use this as like the imagery, like uh, when you're walking down the hall and you're. You ever hear that song? I can't. I was just going to say, are you going to sing? Sounds that? like a rhyme is on its way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I was going to sing it. And then suddenly I thought, no, I don't want to do that to the audience. So never mind. But I think it just it, it rhymes with my area. OK, good stuff. And know it. If, if your business looks like that, you've got some serious <laughs> issues. Anyways. All right. Let's move on to our, up. <laughs> our actual voicemail here. This is from Dave. Hey guys, this is Dave from Nashville, Tennessee. I have a question or a kickback on Shannon's storage of lumber out in the garden shed. 
just wondering how heat and humidity and uh, the climate out there affects the lumber differently than storing it, say, in your garage or in your workshop. I just couldn't help but think that um, putting it all out in the shed would require then some setting time once you bring it in before you work it. All right, Shannon, I cut that a little bit short. Um, You want to handle the question? Yeah, it absolutely does require that uh, amount of time. Um, Since I'm only keeping my current project lumber in the shop, I generally, you know, you know when you're kind of drawing to the close of of a previous project. So I can either, if I'm feeling really industrious, bring in my next project lumber at that point and let it sit generally about two weeks in my shop. Most of the time, though, I forget and kind of take a, you know, there's plenty of other things I can do while I'm letting lumber acclimate. And just for my own sanity, I often don't jump from one project right into another, but I, I absolutely let it acclimate. The thing that, and this is not the first person to ask this question. I don't know when I, I made that move, what, six months ago, this question has been asked a lot. Um, what I ask you is go to your local lumber yard and look at where they're storing their lumber. Generally it's outside in a shed. There are very few full-size lumber yards. I'm not talking about Woodcraft or Rockler where you can buy S4S stuff. I'm not even really talking about Lowe's that has their big, quote, indoor lumber yard with the giant bay doors that open to the outside. Um, most lumber is stored outside in a shed. The, the key is to keep it under cover, so obviously it doesn't have standing water on it. But once lumber is kiln-dried, it picks up and excuse me, it sheds moisture pretty quickly and it takes a while to absorb moisture. So the key is unless it is really, really wet all the time, Pacific Northwest, probably it's not really going to pick up moisture that fast. If a rainstorm blows through one day and then is gone the next day, any moisture that it picks up, it sheds it just as quickly. So two weeks of acclimatization time. Yeah. Two weeks of, of, of adjustment time is more than enough. Um, And, you know, I've got a moisture meter. I've got one in my shop. I pay close attention to it. The key is understanding what your equilibrium moisture content is in your shop. For me, it's about 10 to 11%. So six to 8% KD lumber, kiln dried lumber is going to absorb moisture when it sits on the rack in my shop. Well, my shop is also uninsulated. Um, right now I've got, shoot, I've got three heaters running in the shop right now because it's all of four degrees outside, but it, it's incredibly dry in there. When I take the, the moisture meter now, it's running still at about 9%. So there's really not, it's not like I've got to correct for 20 to 30% moisture difference. It's usually a couple percentage points and it's no big deal. I think the, the key is just keeping um, keeping a roof over its head and keeping standing water and stuff off of it. Cool. We don't, a couple of years ago, I did a, a, a little post on what I called the, my winter woodworking tips. And uh, a PDF that I found was the, a link to a, the USDA Storage of Lumber Handbook. And it, it references mm-hmm. all those things you talked about with the lumber yards, about how to, how to maintain, uh, you know, keeping the wood dry and everything else. And it's a really great look at why lumber yards oftentimes are not like fully insulated and all this other stuff, why your lumber G could be exposed to these elements and everything. Yeah. Uh, well, my I mean, biggest the fact thing, of the matter is if we kept it in the perfect six to 8% moisture, unless I'm a lumber yard in Mark's neighborhood, uh, if we kept it that way, then there would be immediate movement the minute it left the yard because around here anyway, six to 8% is not, not resting 
for lumber. It's going to move. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, the, the big thing is like once once the lumber hits that equilibrium, regardless of whether it's kiln dried or air dried, you're right. It, you, and you mentioned this too just a second ago about how it doesn't fluctuate all that much. It might fluctuate yeah. a little, but more or less, it really kind of stays within a certain range. And quite honestly, that that range is not so so horrible that you're going to see like the wood suddenly swelling and contracting and swelling and contracting like it's breathing. You know, it just it stays pretty pretty steady year long. And you can see why I don't have a whole lot to say about this topic. <laughs> no, the one question I do have, though, is because you used a time period, and I think all three of us have re- referenced this. Where does that two-week accl- acclimatization come into? Um, acc- acclimation? Is that the word you guys are working for <laughs> Acclimatization? I think acc- acclimate. Have, yeah. have you ever seen the movie The Money Pit? Yes. Uh, two weeks. Many times. It'll be done in two weeks. That's where it comes <laughs> from. There you go. Nice. All right, perfect. Now, I, I honestly think two weeks is one of those things where it's way more time than is actually needed. So if you wait two weeks, you're good, you know, right. no matter what yeah. happens. Within um, that window. Frankly, within 48 hours, usually, my my lumber is uh, acclimated as much as I can, or as much as I want it to be. So I, I think it's just kind of an arbitrary thing. Somebody once said two weeks. Um, probably that person was saying it to kind of cover their butt because they sold the lumber to somebody. Um, two weeks is the standard for like flooring to rest, you know, and that's that's even more difficult because you're talking about an interior installation where there will be climate control. And if it's coming from an exterior yard, uh, it, it does need to shed some moisture. It needs to sit in that room for a while. So I think two weeks is one of those things that you're kind of guaranteed to be okay if you wait that long. Yeah. Now, is it two two business day weeks or is it a full 14 <laughs> 10 days? 10 days or 14 days? <laughs> oh, Lord. Let's get more yes. specific here, The answer we? is yes. Okay. Well, maybe it, we should it depends apply. on what month it is and what region of the country yeah. you're in and what species you're using. All right. Let's move on yeah. to email. <laughs> uh, first one here is from Jacob. He says, I'm building some doors for an entertainment console. And to get the look I'm going for, I want to build doors that are flat slabs comprised of lots of two to three inch pieces glued together into a slab about 24 by 24. I want the slab to stay nice and flat. So I'm considering a dovetail key slash spline in the back of the door near the top running across horizontally. I'm thinking if I glue one end of the spline, not sure if that's the correct terminology, to the door, uh, the door can expand and contract along the rest of the dovetail. Is this possible? Is there something I'm not thinking about? Well, the short answer is, yeah, it's possible. And I think it's actually a really good idea. And I, I included this in here not because there was a lot for me to kind of like solve problem wise, but because I think people should consider stuff like this. Um, you know, when you make a panel, especially of solid wood, it, you know, we just talked about humidity changes that happens on a yearly basis, a seasonal basis, even inside your house. So something that was nice and flat and stable, especially if you're talking about a door could eventually be not flat and stable. It could warp. It could start to twist. So one of the ways, if you have the opportunity to do it, is to use either a cleat or some type of support on a side that's not seen. So you can kind of hold it in that flat position and make, you know stack the cards in your favor that it's going to be uh, flat over the course of time. And a great way, a cool way to do this, and actually the first time I really became aware of this concept was, you guys remember that video we saw probably about a year ago of the guy who made just a big Asian-inspired like timber table and then he mm-hmm. used the dovetail in the base to uh, secure it, which also kept the top nice and flat. Oh, it's gorgeous. That right? was absolutely beautiful. Yeah, and it yeah. was on a he much... Like, 
he put clamps on it to like slide it in place or something. Yeah. You could tell the fit was like ridiculously tight. Yeah, exactly. And that was, uh, you know, a much larger scale than we're talking about here for a door. So yes, I think this is a great idea. The great thing about a sliding dovetail as a cleat like that is it's already kind of pre-attached and you could just decide where you want to put that secure attachment point. Uh, obviously it'd be a little bit hard to glue the center of a sliding dovetail. So yeah, you can get away with just gluing one end and it would do a pretty good job of keeping it flat. And even if that joint isn't like perfectly fit, if it's not piston fit, I don't think it's going to matter. It's still going to be pretty effective just by virtue of the shape of a, a dovetail joint. So I think it's a great idea. I think if you can swing it in the design and it doesn't detract by having a cross piece across the grain, I think more people should consider doing that. Um, and I think it looks better than having a bunch of screws uh, through some sort of a support cleat, which is, you know, normally elongated screw holes would be the way you might normally handle that. I think you have a much better opportunity for an elegant solution with a sliding dovetail like that. You know, in a lot of uh, late federal furniture, that was how they attached the tops to the the carcass itself. Oh, yeah. And so a lot of the sideboards and things that became popular during that period have these wide cabinet or case sections underneath them in wide solid wood tops. Mm -hmm. And I'd like to think that they finally learned because the Queen Anne stuff was old enough that it was starting to crack at that point. <laughs> right. um, so a lot of those, especially the higher style from the nice, uh, you know, upper scale metropolitan construction areas have a sliding dovetail and the whole uh, top just slides right on, keeps it nice and flat. Cool. Sweet. So if, if it's okay with those guys, it must be okay. Right? Good enough for them. Good enough for me. There you go. Cool. Sweet. Well, hey, we have this next question. This came in from Alan, and Alan says, Hi, guys. I cut my first dados by hand, and they were they are way off, probably an eighth of an inch. Any suggestions on how to uh, tighten the back up? Thanks. Uh, on how to tighten the back up, I think, is where he was going with this. So, Alan, uh, because I've been doing a lot of the dados, as I mentioned beforehand, uh, I have been completely freaking out that something like this is going to happen with me, except I'm not doing them by hand. But regardless of what method I would use to make them, something like this is as simple as putting a patch in. So you said that they're maybe off off by an eighth of an inch. Uh, my first thought is to simply have a, a wooden strip and it doesn't even have to fit perfectly in there. You can just get it reattached so you're adding the a little bit of, of wood back in there so you have something to work with. And then once that glue sets up and it's all ready to go, just come back in and – and take it to the the proper width of the dado that you originally wanted. Uh, so, or even with the the thickness, if you're a little bit too deep, you can kind of do something very very similar. Uh, I, I I think that's a really great way to go. And I've used patches and other things. And something like like the dado, uh, you're going to have something fit fitting inside of it anyways. So it's not even so much of a visual. You could probably even put in whatever you have. It could be, you know, just some scraps or something. It uh, doesn't even have to match because you're going to be hiding it uh, in most situations. Cool. But I think that's a really easy fix. Did you guys know what my rapper name is? Uh, Quick Dado? It's Lil Dado. Lil Dado. Lil Dado? Yeah, L-I-L apostrophe, Lil Dado. You should have like Lil Dado and the Rabbit Bunch. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> that's, that's our new band. <laughs> right there we on. go. Sweet. <laughs> Oh, I would like to ask Alan if he could maybe write us back or email or voicemails or something in the future. I'd like to know why he was off an eighth of an inch. Um, not <laughs> that, you know, you suck. You're off an eighth of an inch. I just, it's a good exp or examination of what went wrong. Because mm -hmm. an eighth of an inch is a lot. 
Um, well, and especially by hand. I mean, for right. me, when I was doing it with like the table saw or a router, but especially the table saw where the, the joint is facing down on the tabletop, it's very easy to not pay attention as you start to run it until you get done, flip it over and go, oh, whoa, uh-oh. Oh, that's off. But right. by hand, I mean, that's not yeah. like cutting on the wrong side of the line. That's cutting on the wrong side of the line and leaving a gap between your saw and the wrong side of the line. Yeah, that's like so, I want to cut on the left of the line. Oh, wait, is it the left or the right? And, and I mean, it so, could even just be a layout issue where right. you may not have so laid I, it out. I, properly. I just love to hear what did what did he learn from that? Being the optimist, I always choose to to view really bad botched joinery as a learning experience. Yeah, so I'd be curious go. to see. If he's corrected that and, and what he had to do to correct it. Cool. But bottom line, because it's wood, put in that patch, you're all set. Yep. All right. This comes from Chris, and he specifically put Chris from South Jersey. And I was practicing my South Jersey accent before the show began. Go for it. And it's terrible. Okay, so don't do it then. Not going to bother. <laughs> it might be more of a North Jersey thing. I don't know. <laughs> uh, I lived in South Jersey and hey, I didn't have an accent. When I'm I from New Jersey and I'd have a trouble identifying for you what a South Jersey accent sounds like. <laughs> right. All I know is they're just they're just down the shore uh, up there. And, and well, that's all we, over we're, Jersey. We're down the ocean here in Maryland. So nice. anyway, Chris said, I recently saw Shannon's video on rasps and files and I finally got myself a set. I now find myself going to them quite often, even though I'm a power tool guy. Which, ironically, I think rasps tend to be more for the power tool guy. I don't know. Like, hand toolers, because we're snobs, tend to, like, turn our noses up at them. They were one of the first uh, – awesome. they're one of the first hand tools that I gravitated toward right, from, from, exactly. from power so, tools. They were totally understandable and unintimidating. Right. So, Chris, don't worry about it. I think you're not alone there. Chris's question is, what's the best way to go about clearing out the dust from the teeth? And should I worry about pitch and residue building up on them? Uh, question, uh, the easy answer to the second question is yes, you should worry about that. Um, the pitch and resin is just, well, first of all, pitch and resin could cause faster rusting because there's a lot of moisture in there. It also can, uh, attract moisture because the, 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 uh, what is it? The wood and dust and everything. Wood is hydroscopic. In other words, it absorbs water. So it's going to absorb water and it's going to cause rusting. Plus the stuff hardens over time and becomes like petrified and suddenly your uh, number six really aggressive grain rasp now becomes a nice number 18 modeler's rasp or a file rather because you filled in all those teeth with that petrified pitch and, and junk that's in them. So you absolutely want to go about clearing out the dust from the teeth. And this is one of those things where it's much better to do it often before you put that tool down for the day. And actually many times while you're using it, if you're doing a lot of, of heavy sculpting work, you may find that the rasp is not working as well because you got to go in and clear out those um, the teeth. Because what's happening is you, you think of it like a saw. When the gullets between the teeth fill up, the saw stops cutting or it cuts really, really poorly. That's what's going on with the rasps. All those little gaps under the, the teeth, hand-stitched, machine-stitched, whatever, they fill up and the rasp doesn't cut anymore. Um, so you, you do have to clear that out. Well, the, obviously, the more it gets packed in there, the harder it's going to be, the more compressed that dust is. It's just really hard to get out of there. So I'm like the anal retentive chef when it comes to clearing out my rasps. I have a little um, kind of stiff bristle brush. I actually bought it from Tools for Working Wood for, I don't know, a couple of bucks. They sell it on the same page as the rasps. It's nice because it's not um, like a brass bristle brush, so it technically won't dull my, my rasps, the teeth at all while I do it. But that stiff bristle, it won't clear out the stuff that has been sitting in there for a while. And that's why it's a good idea to do it very often. 
Uh, if you've got one that's really gummed up, there is something called a file card, which is basically a steel bristled brush, and that will do a really good job, but I have to feel that that's dulling my teeth. And the the um, general perception is that that's not good for your rasp. I don't have any actual experience to say, yes, that really dulls them. I'm just told, <laughs> so I don't do it. Um, so, I, you know, there may be somebody out there that says that's a myth. I don't know whether it is or not, but I have one of each, a bristle a stiff bristle brush and a file card. And when stuff gets really uh, stubborn, I will use the file card to clear them out. But more the more often you do this, the better off you're going to be. Have either of you tried the sort of acid method that people, have you seen that where they'll take the rasp and put it in some kind of an acid solution? I've, I've never done it. I've heard people use it to like restore a vintage rasp yeah. because you're essentially etching. It's pretty hardcore. Again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that to me, if I have to wear rubber gloves on a respirator to clean a tool, I'm generally not into it. Yeah. I'd like to refer to the rust remover uh, marks remarks from uh, uh, many episodes ago where if it burns my nose hairs, no. Right? <laughs> not allowed in the shop. <laughs> I think what you need to do is take some sort of acidic something solution dump the rasp in there, stick the whole thing inside a cooler with a light bulb to keep it from freezing. <laughs> That's a good idea. This is good safety advice from the Wood Talk crew here. Right. I'm just referencing previous episodes. Should so. you clean the outside of the thing with gasoline too? <laughs> Absolutely. It's really, uh, I mean, preferably it's a good use a brake cleaner in a enclosed area. Oh, good. Good idea. And you know what? You should do this all while running the car in your garage. With the oh, door and don't closed. forget also yeah. uh, while applying a oil finish, you should... Uh, make sure that you bundle those rags up nice yeah, and tight. Nice stack and of rags. And, and throw yeah. them in there. Throw them in the yes. cooler with it. Yeah, yeah that's With the go. paper. Actually, that could be the solution to that problem. Don't put a light bulb in there. Take your finished rags, bundle them up because they're <laughs> exothermic, right? <laughs> it should start to warm up eventually. <laughs> there we go. Perfect. We solved it. Oh, man. Well, if you want to keep this great safety advice coming, we need your support. And you can do that if you want to <laughs> by going to woodtalkshow.com looking over in the side column for the donation links. And you can also go to TWWstore.com and buy yourself a sweet Wood Talk t-shirt. You can also show your support by giving us a review in iTunes. Just look us up in the store, click on ratings and reviews, and give us that five-star rating, just like Tanker Hoosin did and Pilot602, who had this to say, fun and meaty. Lots of great information on a variety of woodworking topics, all presented in a lighthearted manner with a noticeable and greatly appreciated lack of pretentiousness. Uh, except for Matt. He's a jerk. Uh, sourcing Finally, it's coming across the right way. Uh, sourcing information and topics via links in the show notes is also very much appreciated. Uh, if you have any interest in woodworking, you must give this podcast a try. Well, thank you for that, Pilot602. We appreciate it. Yes, definitely. It's, it's following up on Pilot 601's only four-star rating. That's right, yes. And uh, how about Pretentious Matt? How about you give him the contact info and we'll get out of here. Well, Buffy, if you have some comments, questions, or suggestions, <laughs> me and Miff are going to be over here. Cool. You can have several different ways to contact us. Leave us a voicemail on Skype. Our username is Wood Talk Online. Call our voicemail line at 623-242-5180. Hopefully our secretary will finally be in to work on that one. <laughs> Email us at kickback at woodtalkshow.com or leave us a comment on our Wood Talk Facebook page. And if you're ever looking for the show notes or downloads from today's show or those previous episodes, you'll find those over at Wood Talk Show. Dot com. Beautiful, man. That was great. Wow. Points to Matt for keeping that going. I thought he was going to give it up about halfway through, wow. but man, yeah, yeah, it's gonna like break. It was like one of those anniversary shows where I like lost it, but didn't realize that I stopped talking in the weird voice. <laughs> <laughs> Nicely done, sir. Nicely done. All right. Well, if you, uh, well, yeah, have a good working week. We'll, uh, we'll cut it right here. <laughs> have a good one, everybody. <laughs> See ya. Stop while we're ahead. Yep. That's the idea. <laughs>